0: Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network. Presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris.
1: Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Art of War podcast. We are so excited to be back on track doing army list deep dives. This week, joining us on the program is the one and only Alex McDougal. Did I say that right? Yes, he did. And he's going to be talking about forces of the hive mind. For those of you that don't know, he's finished very well, very consistently with that army. Joining me as always on the podcast is the one and only Nick Nanavati who I say every week doesn't need an introduction, but I charge ahead bravely and give one anyway because he is a fantastic player and he's going to help us frame the discussion so we can really, really get deep on Alex's army. And as always, I I know we have a lot of new listeners to the podcast, so I'm just going to tell you that this is episode one where we talk about the strategy of Alex's list. And you can think of the strategy discussion as a macro discussion. It's basically where we talk about everything that's put in the list and why and what the overall strategy is. And then for our patrons in part two, we get into our tactics discussion where we get more into the nitty-gritty details of optimal play with the list in certain situations. So we'll talk about matchups, we'll talk about scenarios, um, and then we'll really, really get deep into that. So without further ado, Nick, why don't you go ahead, introduce Alex, ask our first question, and let's get started on the discussion about forces of the hive mind.
2: Absolutely. So Alex is actually one of our coaches here on the Art of War coaching team. And if you do like what he has to say about Forces of the Hive Mind or today's topic specifically Gene Stealer cult, uh this is exactly where you can go and get some more coaching from him, yardwar 40 kcom But anyways, Alex is one of the most accomplished players, like John said, with forces, typically going uh, with a very positive record at super majors like LVO, winning some GTs over in the frozen north, that is Canada, and uh, just genuinely being a really pleasant guy to play against my experiences from him with Charity Hammer. So Alex, you have a pure GSC list that you want to share with us today. So let's break it down. What do you think can still work for Gene Stealer Call, and what is your newest ideas?
3: Uh, Definitely what I think is going to work is just playing to the mission, like really hard, harder than most. And it's going to be, unfortunately, just like what is happening with Nids, I think we move a lot more to shooting lists, uh, which isn't exactly how I want to play, but I actually am pretty excited about this list. I think this list is a lot of fun.
2: All right, so break it down for me. What's in it?
3: So the first detachment is a patrol, and it's pure-bladed cog. It's got the Magus with a Familiar, uh, probably going to be taking the Crouchling and potentially uh, Cult Psyche. So you can get like three spells a turn on a critical turn. Uh, It's a Jackal Alpha, an Icon Ward with the Relic Banner. So you're plus one strength. And then it is five packs of 10 Neophytes, both with, or all of them with two Mining Lasers. Okay. Then it's a sixth unit of Neophytes, uh, full 20, uh, just with the Shotguns and then a Keller Morph. Uh, I'll go through the second detachment first, and then we can kind of see how it all makes sense together, because the whole list is like very synergy-based. Uh, the second detachment is a patrol, so you're not having to pay quite as much for your uh, command points. It's a second alpha, a patriarch with another familiar, The then a uh, squad of echoes, uh, the 15-pack with like six rock saws and an icon ward, and then a second unit of 20 neophytes uh, with shotguns, and then six Ridge Runners, a morph, and a Sanctus. This is mixed. Uh, There's The Alpha is going to be Hive Cult. The Runners are Hive Cult. The Acolytes are Bladed Cog. The Patriarch is Bladed Cog. And then we have two units, which is the little dumpy five-man Acolyte unit, and the Sanctus that are Forearmed Emperor, which are just giving us a pocket Vect. Gotcha. So the list plays crazy denial. Uh, you start with very little on the board. If you can, you're going to throw more things into deep strike, and then you come down as a giant flowering blob of neophytes that are going to get like every buff imaginable. Uh, uh, you're th- going. Do you have any questions?
2: Yeah, I was going to say, just kind of. I guess you're in the middle of it. Just walk us through like the overall strategy and kind of the main synergies of how the list plays out.
3: Mm-hmm. So everything kind of works as one gigantic unit. Uh, when you're deep striking on turn two, because turn one, you're just kind of taking space with the runners or getting rid of key targets. Uh, once everything comes in, you're going to have the Neophyte, the Two-Killer Morphs, uh, sorry, the Patriarch, the Two-Killer Morphs, um, the Alpha, the Icon Ward. They're all going to come down in a little ball in the middle, and then you have this huge mass of 60 Neophytes. So the Neophytes are 6-plus invulnerable save, and 6-plus feel no pain from the Icon Ward. They are Strength 4 because of the Relic Banner. You're going to have three Warlord Traits, because in the beginning you can spend um, the Stratagem, I can't remember what it's called. And then your uh, extra Warlord Trait is going to be that everyone can heroically intervene within 6 inches. You have the 20-man lying in wait to build these really tight little walls around your opponent to limit their movement. And then you cast Unyielding on them, which is the Bladed Cog spell, to give them a 5-plus Feel No Pain uh you mark something with the alpha you shoot a bunch of things with the keller morph, just looking for kills and now yes it's trash firepower but you should have about 180 shots some of which are strength four from the shotguns because you're showing up within three or yeah within three and all of them are rerolling ones and hitting on threes
2: so it seems to me like you have a lot of like a lot of piddle shots, garbage, all kind of all over the place. But you have a lot of it. Like you have so many different small squads in this army. Ten or uh, five units of neophytes. You said or was it six.
3: Uh, it's five units of ten man neophytes and two units of twenty with shotguns.
2: Yeah. So obviously that's a lot right off the bat. Then yep. you have um, all these small acolyte squads, a feeling pain acolyte blob. Just a lot of things going on in this army. How does it? Um, I guess. What kind of strategies are you using to to score points and play the mission in ninth? I mean that's really what it's all about these days uh, a lot of
3: it is just jamming onto objectives super hard you're act, like you're not super durable, but a six plus six plus that's completely fearless that has like weirdly more movement than you would expect because of heroic intervention. Uh, you can get onto objectives a lot easier than most people think as you kind of wrap around edges like if your opponent gets close to you, they charge. One unit and they avoid the second, and then the second piles into them and takes a bunch of extra movement and goes and grabs an objective. Um it is really just relying on that horde to kind of win the day for you. And there are still, on average, 18 last Cannon shots a turn. So you have no issue dealing with monsters and
2: vehicles. Yeah, that's a great point too. The uh, I think a lot of people are sleeping on the fact that Gene Sealer Cult is actually one of the shootiest factions in the game. Or at least not it can overall. be. It can be. Like you have Really, really cheap last cannon platforms or mining laser platforms, I should say, yeah, uh, just neophyte squads getting what is it eighty points for ten guys with two last cannons, like marines don't get that. they have to pay a lot to get two last cannon shots in their army, and you can get yeah. on your obsec troop squads that deep strike, which means they always get the alpha strike
3: yeah the the alpha in the center can get you your real one or sorry, get you a plus one to hit um. And it's for everyone. You just mark the squad, and the entire that entire, whole blob of 50 neophytes is hitting on threes now. Uh, and then if the Kellermorph gets a kill, then you get to reroll ones against that target as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So how do you bring it all in? I guess one of the crazy things for a lot of players with Gene Sealer Cult is knowing how to deploy. The blips are kind of something a lot of players don't really understand, and the fact that anything can go in reserve, come back from reserve, all that kind of stuff. What's your methodology for this list? uh it's definitely a pretty
3: i mean like most gsc lists it's definitely pretty technical um you're gonna have to make some pretty weird decisions with the ridge runners if you know you need space uh a lot a lot of things that people forget is that the ridge runners can go 14. so usually you think oh they have last cannons i'll put them on the back line like if you need to if you need that neophyte pack to get to a good spot and you just need one turn to stall You can just advance or throw your Ridge Runners 14 inches forward and just make gigantic walls that your opponent can't get past, and then the new fights can come in wherever they want.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. So you can use your Ridge Runners' as screens, even.
3: Yeah, because they're way more durable than people think.
2: You think they're easy to kill? They're just not. Biggest misconception.
3: Eight wounds, at toughness five with uh, Feel No Pain, it goes a long ways.
2: Like, you think they're soft because... People think of them like they're vehicles. And yeah, in terms of vehicle chassis, they are fairly soft. But imagine them more like a really, really tough warwalker. Like, yeah. Compared to a rhino, compared to something like that.
3: Yeah, they're only 70 points.
2: Nice. It was like eight wounds, six of the pain is really annoying, especially from D6 damage weapons. I feel like that's just so ineffective against them. And even two damage weapons, it really doesn't go down in four hits because that's six feel the no, pain. No,
3: it never does. Yeah. I've only played it twice. Um, I did win both games, but I was actually having surprising amount of fun uh playing it which i think is a key for you to actually like want to continue with a list you can play a list that wins all the time but if you're like "Ah, this is so so painful to play like you're not really going to want to keep on
2: going you're never going to push yourself to also adapt it and learn it it's just you're playing it while it's giving you wins because it's giving you wins once it starts stops delivering because people adapt to it or the meta changes you're not going to push yourself to keep it going
1: yeah also there's there's a lot of Uh, a lot of ways to tweak lists like uh, there are a lot of minor changes that you can make that make a big difference in certain matchups so a lot Mm -hmm. of the value of playing a list a lot is learning like what is really vitally important and then understanding where your bad matchups are and where your good ones are so you shave a little bit off a bad, good matchup add a little bit of help against a bad matchup and sort of massage the list into where you think the meta is. And that's very rewarding, but it's really only fun if you enjoy playing the list. Otherwise it is painstaking work and you won't do it. Right.
2: That's what you're paying me for.
3: (laughs) It is work then. It's just like, this isn't fun. This is just me like forcing myself to stay competitive.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So I'm glad you found a list you're enjoying to play right now. Mm -hmm. So one thing that strikes me as odd and, um, I, I know a lot of players are on the fence about this unit, but Aberrants, they they got nerfed with the lack of Vigilance. There's no more fight on death. They got hit again with the points because, you know, they were ruining the meta for everyone in 8th edition. Uh, how where, is there something, do you consider them at all on your buildings list as like a counter-charge unit that's very durable by Gene Stealer cult standards, I should say? Uh, uh, or are you just anti-Aberrant now?
3: I would like to find a spot for them. Um, I mean, just to so much of a hit from all over the place it wasn't just that we lost uh swing on death and we lost out on you know more points coming out it's also the fact that we just don't have the command points that we used to like if yeah you could do some
2: most genes are called before were are triple battalion clusters three three you start with so that'd be about 18 yep. now you start with 12 and then
3: you have at least two detachments
2: yeah that's true too right
3: so that's 10 and then you play for your relics and stuff so you you know, I start most games at like 9 or 8. Yeah. And I mean, that the Aberrants alone could just spend all of that in one turn.
2: Yeah, if you, you know, go crazy like perfect ambush, then reroll your charge, then
3: Yeah, uh, swing on, on death, swing, swing twice. Right. Yeah, I got a little out of hand. I mean, I want it I still want to play Aberrants. This list did not consider the Aberrants. They just didn't fit with what the list was trying to do, but I mean, I wouldn't have people completely ignore them cuz even at their point, their points that they currently are. If they do get into combat, they
2: are completely insane. Yeah, the, that still hasn't changed. Like, they lost mm-hmm. fight on death, but they still, whatever they touch the first time, dies. Mm-hmm. And they don't just die, either. They're shockingly tough. Although, yeah. also, the new wrapping rules haven't done them any favors, either. No. Yeah, because we,
3: if we're going to spend for Perfect Ambush, and we're going to spend for uh, Fight Twice, uh, then to keep them in place, we actually also have to spend, like, um, planned generations in the making uh you can't afford that that's just too much that's not what the game is right now yeah
1: one thing that sort of strikes me about your list um and you can correct me if you're wrong you know being the newer player but from an opponent's perspective they don't have anything big and juicy that they can just take off the table and sort of gain an advantage against you like it's just all a bunch of stuff they have to wade through and so a lot of their weapon profiles like you know are probably not going to be that great against you to be honest with you you know
2: yeah
3: Outside of the Ridge Runners, you're right. There's, like, tank weapons are trash. Uh, Even two damage weapons just feel really bad going into Neophytes.
2: Yeah, if you're paying, like, for auto cannons and you're shooting guardsmen bodies with them, that doesn't feel great.
3: Yeah, and the funny part is, again, this is one of those ones that a lot of people forget. Um, You kind of got to kill these squads because there is, uh, I can't think it's called, like, uh, it's either Summon Reinforcements or, like, Aid Unlooked For. It's the one where you can bring a D6 amount of guys back. One CP. To regenerate a last cannon, hell yeah,
2: that's so oh, good. Yeah. You get to choose which model comes back as well, so you can you pull your rock saws or your mining lasers for coherency purposes or whatnot, and then just yep. bring them right back. That's really clever because yep. especially your opponent, if he's not super familiar with the waging circle play, because he's going to watch you pull your mining lasers and be like, okay, well that's just not a threat anymore. I'll move on to the next unit, and then boom, they're right back.
3: Yep, yeah, it's that's really fun. Perfect. And even if you have one guy left. I mean, if you if you roll one dice, you still guarantee to get one last cannon back. And that's all we really care about in those squads, yeah. after turn one after you have your big, you know, here's a hundred last cannon shots, yeah, yeah. Uh, another fun part about it is that the Kellermorphs don't typically die in this list, which is fun for me, um because you're not using them to go and hunt characters most of the time, like unless your opponent just gives like, here's a gift. go kill him with the Keller morph. Um, They're mostly there to drop in and buff up the guardsmen. So a lot of times they'll just continue to live. And your opponent charges you, and you heroically intervene everything in, and the Calimorphs keep shooting.
2: That's always a question I have for Gene Circle players. Um, you can, of course, buy your Kellomorph relic pistols and then have them go nuts, deep striking, then three inches with lying in wait, shooting twice with perfect ambush, and trying to kill multiple characters in one foul swoop. Or you can just use them to kind of harass little skirmishing squads and actually provide as real ones to hit or Now, in your army, it makes a lot of sense that that's the way you use them. Uh, what else is he going to really be doing in this list? I mean, of course, you could suicide him off the table, but then he and you're not getting yourself real ones. He just makes sense in that purpose. Do you, have you found that maybe you have one Kellamorph go on suicidal missions and the other just support your army, or like, how are you using these guys?
3: That's one of the main reasons I have to. If my opponent decides, like, okay, I don't care about trying to keep you out with lying and wait, or they just make a mistake again. If they hand me a gift, yeah, go take the gift
2: for sure. Right, makes sense why you have two now because you know you still need your real ones forever. That's just like how your army's going to function, bread and butter. But yeah. it's nice to be able to. Uh,
3: sometimes you also play into stuff that uh, the Kelomorphs won't get a kill. Like if you're playing um, against custodes, you're not killing some of those commanders, right? So you might as well just leave them both in the lines. And again, like they'll get crazy value over the course of a game if they don't get killed. And when you've got sixty bodies around them, you just slough wounds forever.
2: That's just annoying to shoot through, and you can't really engage them either, because they are pistol weapons, they'll just shoot through combat the whole time.
3: You betcha. Yeah, they've been, they were all-stars. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, the one combat squad that I really have, other than the Patriarch, of course, who's still awesome in combat, is the Acolyte unit, and that's the big counter charge. Like, if you have to go and retake an objective, that can be tough, uh, since none of these really have combat. Um but the the Acolytes can drop down and like clear a unit and take it back for you. And that's something where I would actually consider like, okay, let's well perfect ambush here and go in with it. Yeah. And they are bladed cog as well. So that overthrow the oppressors, when you have like a 15 pack with rock saws gets pretty stupid, especially since everything is Imperium.
2: That's a great point. So what is, let's just cover the, that strategy that you're yeah. putting there.
3: So, uh, overthrow the oppressors is, uh, every six you get, you get another attack uh, obviously, the acolytes are like super accurate anyway because they have re-rolling their own 1s and hit on 3s. So typically speaking, you roll a 6, you get another hit. Uh, if you're into Imperium, you have 5s and 6s give you more attacks. And if you're into Admech specifically, you get 4s, 5s, and 6s. So since Admech and obviously Imperium are kind of top of the pile right now, yeah, it's pretty nuts going in with like 40 attacks from Might from beyond and getting like 60 hits.
2: Now, one thing I found pretty hard to deal with through the Space Marine meta and probably now so in the Admech meta or and also, maybe to a lesser extent, is their ability to intercept you through aspect Scan or whatever various strats that these armies have. Mm-hmm. Is that something you go into the game thinking, I'm saving Vect for this for your agent and generations in the making? Or is that, you know, you try to get around it the best you can, but if you have to Vect, you have to Vect it. How do you play against that? Um,
3: if I had to save it, I might save it for the 20-pack Neophytes or obviously the Acolytes. But most of the time, I'm dropping trash in. So go for it. Like, if you want to drop two CP to shoot neophytes, yeah, you can do that. That's fine. Right. I'm not, I I never really, I guess the only thing you'd have to think about is like, don't do strike a character first. Like, if you're like, okay, here comes the big blob and you're, you're kind of thinking out how it's going to look and where the characters are, you know, don't stick the icon ward down first. That's a bad idea. Um,
2: yeah. So, um, I notice you're, we're not really seeing many brood brothers in these lists either. Um, and yeah, there's like five men acolyte squads instead, just doing nothing really. Like, why, why have you saved the points? Because it's, the difference is 10 points, right? Five acolytes is 40, 10 brood brothers is 50. Why are you saving the points to have 10 fewer bodies? Uh, in this instance,
3: I find it's a lot easier to hide five if I have to hide. And also, if you look at for a footprint, if you're actually trying to zone someone out, five Acolytes actually spreads out wider than ten Brood Brothers.
2: Oh, that's an interesting point because of the coherency rules.
3: Exactly. So you don't actually lose anything as far as a screen for like, just, you know, stay away from my lines. Right. Because uh, the bases are bigger too. So you actually just get more distance on them. Um, I really also like not throwing them into a corner. And every once in a while, somebody just goes, okay, well, I can't deal with that and then you can just run them into your opponent's lines and actually get some work done.
2: Five uh, accolades. I mean, five accolades do hit fairly hard. It's just, they're, they're super easy to kill, but if your opponent literally doesn't have any spare shots to throw their way, I yeah. guess they're not getting dealt with. Absolutely. Yeah,
3: yeah throw them behind a wall way back in a corner, especially with the new stuff like uh, engage on all fronts and line breakers or uh, repair oh, yeah. teleport I homework. think
2: that's really the strength of Gene Center cult. they're the, Having deep-striking obsec and just deep-striking stuff, so powerful, these missions, mm-hmm. You're embodying that with Teen Steeler Cult, so I love that. Yeah,
3: and it, people get surprised how fast they are when you use the stratagem where you can advance and charge, which is only for Acolytes.
2: Right. Now, I've seen a lot of players make use of that with Twisted Helix, because uh, oh, yeah. you get the extra two inches on your advance roll from their thing, couple that with a Clamavis, and now you're flying. Uh, you've yep. gone for Bladed Clog instead, presumably for the spell for feeling Pain and Hitting Harder. Um, yeah. th- kind of? How do you break that down? Why did you make that choice? Um,
3: I was looking at what I could build for a peer detachment. And again, I kept finding like, okay, if I if there was some viable way to run like a full peer combat detachment, I would go back to Twisted Helix, but it just every time I played it or looked at how it looked on paper, I was like this just isn't working. This isn't what I think I can actually use viably. Uh, so since I couldn't seem to get the combat I wanted, I just went, okay, well, let's try and make a weird shooting list and just kind of came together really nicely.
2: Yeah. I do think that the shooting version of Gene Circult is where you need to head. One idea I had, and I, I used to be a much more active Gene Circle player. It's been a minute, but, uh, I think Goliath trucks with just 10-man Acolyte squads inside with a couple of rock saws could be really powerful, like, in especially with coupled with your nine or your, you have six returners. but if you had to go even any amount, No one really wants to shoot a truck, especially if it's behind obscuring terrain, when there's Ridge Runners to be shot. And that kind of lets you deliver your combat much more safely and without spending those CP. Is that something you have looked at at all?
3: Yeah, I I played uh, two trucks with 10 man rock saws in both uh, for quite a while, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think I just got some some sourness and PTSD to it. I had a couple games back-to-back where the trucks blew up, and like five of the guys inside died um and i was just like i was just done on it for a little bit but it's definitely something i would go back to and yeah if i was going pure gsc because every time i played the trucks was in forces of the hive mind where they were like the supplement to my Tyranid shooting um Mm -hmm. but if i ever went pure gsc with the trucks it would be three trucks with three acolytes maybe even one um aberrant unit uh because again you get twisted helix and you get this massive run out of the vehicle you just psychic stimulus them and then you yeah, have like six plus Ridge Runners in the back. And again, no one wants to shoot those trucks. And you give them uh, demolition charges and then just drive them into opponents' lines and blow them up. Which yeah. I'm, I know you're intimately aware with, Nick.
2: I, I am. I am. It's one of my favorite things to ever happen <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, so, do you find you have enough close combat in this army? Which I think is a really awkward thing to ask a Gene Hall player.
3: But here we are don't think it's quite
2: enough um it
3: can be a little depressing for that again the acolytes do hit super hard the right. patriarch it's
2: not so much that you don't hit hard enough when you get there it's more do you have enough that gets there
3: yeah uh yeah typically the acolytes are just like a suicide unit they go in kill something big and trade out uh the patriarch again goes a long time like a lot longer than people expect again because there's 60 garbage bodies to just hand out wounds to mm-hmm. um, and the other thing that I've been debating is dropping the sanctus and tossing in a primus and then you have all those 60 neophytes hitting on threes in combat because you're already strength four from the relic banner
2: i uh, definitely you to- like that too because uh your re-roll ones to wound target whatever you pick when he shows up can also apply to shooting so against one yep. big target finally just going to work
3: yeah the only the reason i originally put the sanctus in was it was a very reliable uh on board from turn one uh, formed Emperor unit that is never going to die. Yeah. So I always have Vect right from turn one and he's going to live through the entire game. And I mean, if, again, if the, the matchup is good, obviously we all know that the Sanctus Sniper Rifle is disgusting against Chaos and
2: other psychers. Right. But not every game is like that, of course. Exactly. Uh, so I guess what would you consider... Let's shift the focus a little bit. How does this army play the missions? Ninth edition is a very different beast from eighth edition as far as what works and doesn't in relation to the missions. And there's kind of a lot of misunderstanding about secondaries, uh, how many points you should realistically try to get, which secondaries you should choose, all that jazz. What's your kind of logic flow with that?
3: Uh, Mostly this, I mean, for this list, It plays the secondaries pretty well because, again, there's a lot of movement-based ones and a lot of ones that they can't really deny if you just throw some trash into the corner and do Teleport Homer or um, Deploy Scramblers or something like that. But this plays to the primaries really well as well because if your opponent stays back at all or doesn't play aggressively, uh, any objective that they haven't grabbed is yours. You will instantly hit the board and cover, just blanket every single objective that's left. and it's really hard to take it back from you because everything's fearless and has a bunch of saves. So sometimes they'll overextend and try to get to objectives to stop your deep striking, and then you can punish them for that. Uh, and sometimes they just won't get to the far edge of the objective. You know, they'll toe in. If they mm-hmm. toe in, you can lying in wait into that objective anyway.
2: ask this question. So I guess... there. Right now, the way most of the missions score is basically score five points for holding one objective, 10 points for holding two objectives, and 15 points for holding more at the start of your command phase. So basically at the end of your opponent's turn. Yep. How often do you sacrifice 10 neophytes or 10 Brute Brothers or five acolytes, whatever it might be, with lying in wait to just show up right on their doorstep with uh, three inches away to contest or steal an objective right away? In this list, it's
3: probably the first, or sorry, for once you can deep strike, it's turns two and three, you'll do it twice. That's typically what the neophytes are, the 20-pack of neophytes are doing. That's their job. Oh, so I see. So you. you hang in wait. You can a lot of times hit two, because uh, it's a huge unit. You make them tough. And again, you don't have to go into combat. You don't do anything. You just end up in their, in their uh, objective circle, because you can show up within three inches.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you can block a lot of stuff too this way.
3: Yes, this is really what it's doing. If you Again, if you're not aggressive and you don't push ahead, turn two, you get completely walled in three inches away and your movement turns to complete garbage. And then you don't get to go anywhere. You just hit that neophyte squad and then it happens immediately turn three. And if you can move block somebody completely for two or three turns, game's over.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, so this is like an old Magic the Gathering term, right? Uh, You guys ever heard of time walking your opponent? Yes, somewhere in the back of my mind. Yeah, so basically it's like if you play in such a way... So there used to be this spell called Time Walk, which was just simply take another turn. It was one blue and one color. It's not that that matters. Yeah. Uh, but there became this terminology where if you sort of blanked your opponent's turn so they couldn't do much, that you basically Time Walk them because you get to take another turn, right? And then they just didn't get to advance their game plan in any way. So in a lot of ways, you're sort of playing this game to like... Time walk people by just dropping this blob of crap in their face that you don't care two bits about other than to block them moving for a turn and grab an objective so that they can't score it because you take it from them because uh, it's now the beginning of their turn, right? And you have objective secured and you've got a ton of bodies that are on little tiny bases so you can just put exactly how many you need on that objective and unless they're aggressive, like you're really turning the the mission on its head and making it difficult for them to advance forward to get into the mission, right?
3: Yep. And uh, it's one of those ones where, again, there's nothing valuable in that neophyte squad. So even if they say, okay, I want to get rid of the neophytes, they want to shoot the ones with the mining lasers, but they also need to push you out of the objective. And those are the ones that are sitting on a 5-plus feel-no-pain from unyielding. So
1: gross.
3: 6-plus-plus and 5-plus feel-no-pain and fearless, and there's 20 of them. It's surprisingly more durable than i think a lot of people
1: think okay question so the other part of this list is you have a 1.21 bazillion mining lasers right i don't know exactly how many i didn't count but you have a lot so on the early turns of the game your opponent's going to be disincentivized from poking his nose out or being aggressive right because you will punish them hard with those mining lasers if they so if they play so like you're sort of you're sort of uh, encouraging them to play in a way that allows you to bone them with the neophytes, right? So you're just like putting a lot of firepower. That's not very durable, right? But you still don't want to take the brunt of it in one turn. So, okay, I'm going to be a little bit conservative, pick off what I can so I don't take all those mining lasers to the face, and you're just like, cool, now I'm going to wall you off, and now you you can't move into the uh, mission effectively, and, and you've kind of almost stolen the game. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's very similar to how I think uh, some of the very durable armies are going to play. Like the ones that just naturally have durability baked in, like Death Guard, where they're going to turn one, jam everything to the objectives, and now you're just immediately on the clock to try and uh, take the primaries back.
2: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I really do like the strategy. I think it's uh, pretty sound, because I've been on the receiving end of a gene called Alpha Strike. These are words I never thought I would say. <laughs> and uh, you do have to play conservatively against it. It's like 20-something LAS cannons that are Pretty accurate. Three, yeah. three only ones is not hard to achieve. No, nope. You're just dead if you get hit by that many last cans. I also love the weapon diversity you have. It's, it's pretty much just last guns and last cannon. Oh, yeah. yeah. But you are so focused on it. Like, you have your anti-big stuff in mass and your anti-garbage in mass. Yeah. Um, I do wonder, does that leave you a little open to, like, that medium, durable stuff? Like, uh, Chaos Bomb of Fuel and Pain, for example?
3: Yeah, it's not always the greatest against that, but I think a lot of times you can just bog your opponent down. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. Again, like made of live,
3: yeah, the typically speaking, the last cannons that uh, what I'm looking for them to do is kill any tank that is a horde killer. That's like target number one. Get that down and try and make your uh, ability to kill troops much less efficient. Um, another thing you can do is with a twenty pack of neophytes is you actually might from beyond them. And that's hilarious, because now they actually have 40 attacks at strength five hitting on threes.
2: That is something in probably a hundred gene circle games I never did was my from beyond my neophytes.
3: Yep. If you have the <laughs> the relics and you've got the the mobility, why not?
2: Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense, especially in this style of list.
3: Yeah. Another thing that people I think are forgetting about is uh, mind control is good again. Because mm-hmm. they can never stop you from shooting them. Like yeah, they can. They can point. Declare, or they can make sure that you can only shoot a specific target, but they can never stop you from shooting their vehicles. Now, if they step <laughs> into combat, you just shoot into combat.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Actually, that's funny. Yeah, and that a is- lot of times
3: it'll be like, something good. They'll forget about it. They'll like put the healing tech marine right behind the the impul or the repulsor, and that's dead. That is a dead tech marine.
2: Well, just one of those things. Like you're so unused to. Defending against, like, I had to be careful about who who I put near what. Uh, it mm-hmm. used to be like, I'll leave a company commander in within an inch of my castle, and, and all right, now you don't take control of my castle. And to be fair, if you do that, Castellan still only shoots that one company commander. So hope you do. But yeah, uh, you know, they are shooting something at least. It's, it's yeah. a bonus. I mean, really,
3: how what would you say if you just had a generic spell that was like land and kill an opponent's trash commander that sounds like a pretty good spell
2: right <laughs> that's not bad yeah. especially like we're using like literally a company commander in this example it doesn't get more useless but like yeah. well it could be something much more valuable too
3: yeah and even even mid-range characters like let's say like a daedalosis or um the little admech uh healer or like a uh, or a tech marine or a lieutenant or something. That's still mm-hmm. super big value from one spell.
2: Definitely. No, I think that's super underrated. I completely forgot that spell existed because it was so rare that I would find good use for it. But
3: Yeah. Yeah, it would only ever affect you in a game against a player that you would probably beat anyway.
2: Yeah, or in like some weird turn four or five when everything is kind of dead scenario. Yeah. Or it's nice to pull it out of your pocket, but also by turn four or five, it's that close, you're also probably dead.
1: Yeah. Here's the other thing that's kind of cool about your list, Alex, and that's this. Everybody has widely purported that Horde is dead, right? Like, that's just the narrative. Whether it's true or not, it's what a lot of people believe and what they say. And uh, I'm not sure that's true, but regardless if it's true or not, that that helps you because people, like, if you're not prepared to shoot through all those fearless, feel-no-pain bodies, like you're gonna have a bad time because they're all obsec and you're just gonna win on mission if people can't effectively cl- clear those guys. And a lot of people, I think, will be bringing their eradicators and stuff like that to deal with vehicles um, because I think vehicles and monsters are gonna be a thing. Uh, and so <laughs> it's kind of interesting in that you're sort of um, yinning when people are yanging and so it's, it's gonna be really good for you, I think, in general, uh, in the meta. What do you guys think about that? Absolutely. I think uh, the overreaction from people for hordes
2: is, is very real, like you pointed out, John. I think hordes have gotten hit tremendously hard in the traditional sense. Like You cannot run boys on boys on boys like 180 orc boys or 180 gaunts in six units of 30 in call of day. But you could still run those 180 boys or 180 gaunts, maybe a little less because points went up, but whatever, points went up for everybody, in X amount of units of 10. Because I think then you're not so vulnerable to blast, coherency is not quite bad, charge rules aren't so painful for you. You're really just small units that are skirmishing around the table, and that's where you want to be for completing actions. You don't want 30 guys doing nothing, you want 10 dudes doing nothing. That kind of stuff. And then only one unit can only hold one objective at a time. So it doesn't behoove you to put 30 gaunts in an objective, hold one objective, die with 30 gaunts. It behooves you to put 10 on an objective, die with ten gaunts, and you know your opponent. And to claim that for a turn. So I definitely think Alex is on the right mindset here. So many units of 10, couple units of 20 just to make good use of the strats and they call it a day.
1: Here's another thing to consider too, right? With lots of small units, you would get punished in ITC by losing Killmore every turn, right? Well, that doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many units your opponent kills. Uh, well, I mean, I guess there is an attrition secondary that you could consider, uh, but it's not that big a deal. Um, But the big thing is, you also make people's weapons less efficient, right? You know, cuz if somebody's got, I don't know, pick your pick your like a punisher cannon, right? That's great into a unit of 20 uh, 20 or our 20 or 30 orc boys, right? But it's not so great into a 10 man unit. It's kind of like, well, this is a nah, lot of extra shots that I don't super really need. Overkill. Right? Yeah. And there's a lot of weapons that are that have profiles like that, you know. <laughs> Um, and so it's it's kind of interesting. I think it it just it makes opponents shooting less efficient. Also, you know if they have like a really hot roll, you don't get punished for it. If they roll way above average, you know on a weapon, um, and you're just like, okay, cool, you killed my ten but guys, the good job. Time
2: in forty k general convention was that MSU was just strictly way better, multiple small units. That is, and the really the thing that changed that mentality was the idea of buffs so psychic powers really came into their own in seventh edition uh, and eighth edition eighth edition also introduced stratagems which are basically value bonuses you give to one unit at a time, whether it's psychic powers for feeling of pain or used to be like invisibility in seventh edition or stratagems like I'm gonna shoot twice well you're you're gonna shoot twice with five chaos base Marines or you're gonna be shoot twice with twenty chaos base Marines. you know what I mean so you always want to take these large, powerful units to pull your combos off. But nowadays, it's, you're better off just taking those small units for the mission, kind of like what the natural flow of things is, like John just pointed out. And that's why, Alex, you're taking, you're not taking 10-man Aberrant squads or 20 Acolytes to throw all of your CP into. You're just taking lots of small units that are kind of autonomous. Is that the idea?
3: Yeah. The, all of the buffs are, that are in this list are auras. So it doesn't matter how big the squad are. That you get all of the squads get all of the buffs, so it doesn't matter that you're trying to load something up on one one unit. Uh, going back to the hordes, um, I think that's going to be the biggest like back and forth seesaw of the meta is people like completely ignoring hordes and then a horde like rolling over them, and then them going well I'm never, I'm never losing to that again. And taking like all the horde killing in the world and just like murdering hordes, and we'll have this kind of back and forth. Um, I think the hordes. Are still alive because they play the missions so well. Um, I think the hordes that are dead are the ones that like do your heavy lifting, like trash hordes that are just there to take up space and go get objectives for you. They're fine. There's nothing wrong with them. The ones yeah. that the hordes that go and win you the game, like Crake and Gene Steelers, I think they're done.
2: Yeah, like the offensive hordes. It's just there's yeah. too much going against it. The game's not designed for that anymore. But if your horde is just there to score you points and play the mission, hordes are great at that. Still, that's real. And That's really where I think horde should be right there. It's just a whole bunch of garbage. It shouldn't be killing me, but it is gonna be annoying,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, you also have other things that are playing to your advantage, right? like uh assault centurions aren't really a thing uh anymore because there're too many points, right? <laughs> that's Am I... a great point, right, and that was that kind of too unnatural... many points.
3: you mean finally enough points <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> You mean so they're are not cheap? every 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 list uh. But anyway, uh, they sort of warped the meta because they were so cheap and effective at clearing hordes. Like it just, and they also punched things to death, super good, and they were super durable. So like, um, they were just they were too good for their points, and so they became so popular, which you know automatically held hordes down in some ways because of the DACA that those things put out. And now, sorry bud, like you're not going to see those things, and so space marine players aren't going to be able to just sort of. Ignore hordes because they they you know they brought some centurions anyway, right? Um, and their lists are going to suffer for it, I think.
3: Yeah, in- incidental horde killing. It's it was horde killing just kind of as a plus on top of the the magic that was centurions.
2: Yeah, let me just take these bolters because my combat unit comes with sixty shots along with it. Uh,
3: yeah, I think that might be replaced by aggressors. I think people might still take aggressors, especially with the new outflank stratagems.
2: Yeah, and certain factions too, like Salamanders for moving and counting a stationary, or Ultramarines for just Pat doctrine option and counting a stationary. Yeah.
1: That's very powerful.
3: Yeah, they'll show up turn two and just dump 120 shots into your face. Um, but again, with an army like this, we have so much deep striking. Those aggressors are never, if they stay off the board, those aggressors are never getting good shots. You can just mm-hmm. blanket the board and they'll show up in their own deployment zone.
2: So to bring the focus back to your list, I had one more question. What are your, like, I guess, pregame secondary or pregame choices you locked into your psychic powers, your command points pregame, all that? Uh, We glossed over it, but just in detail since it does have to be on your list now.
1: Before we get into that, Alex, let's take a quick break for uh, a quick commercial break for our sponsors. And then we'll go ahead and have Alex answer those questions. Yeah, for sure.
0: This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink.
1: All right, Alex, what do you do for pregame? Like, what, what Warlord traits, what relics? Um, you know, how do you lay all that out, and what secondaries are you playing for? Uh, well, the
3: Magus has the Crouchling uh, probably 100% of the time, and he takes the Cult Psyche, which is uh, knowing a second spell. So that way, every single turn, you can cast Might from Beyond and Unyielding or Might from Beyond and uh, Mind Control, and those are the three spells that he pretty much should always have. I can't see that changing up too much. Um the Patriarch takes one warlord trait and you'll spend the stratagem to get two more. One will go to the Magus. Uh if the Sanctus goes out and the Primus comes in, then you get a third uh trait as well. Or a third warlord trait. Uh the icon ward, I've been putting the relic banner on because strength four on all of those neophytes is just really tasty. Yeah. Um I'm trying to remember. I didn't write it down while I wrote the list. That's yeah, the traits, the cults or the, the Crouchling. I think that's it for the Relics. Just the two. And the spells. I debated the Relic Pistol on one of the Morphs, but I don't... Re- again, I haven't really been sending them on big old Kellermorph adventures. It's mostly just been as a buff machine for the rest of the army.
2: Uh, what roller traits do you typically go for? I imagine the D3 Command Point gain. That's just a pretty great one to take always.
3: I don't have any 4 Emperor HQs because they all uh. need to be there buffing all the Bladed Cog stuff. Um, again, okay, so we'll get to this in a bit. I'll talk to you another, or why we don't. I don't always take that one, um, or I'm, that I'm not worried that I'm not getting it. But typically speaking, I'm taking, um, the Magus takes, everybody can uh, heroically intervene within six inches. And the Patriarch is typically getting the uh, three-inch plus plus. Uh, addition to his aura. So you've got a nine inch fearless bubble, which mm-hmm. really lets you spread out.
2: Yeah, that makes sense.
3: And then the the Primus, again, I haven't used it in the list yet. That's been like a theoretical swap out for the Sanctus. Um it, I mean most of the time that third warlord trait is just like uh incidental like I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah. Have you ever considered the uh the warlord trait for bladed cog, which is plus two to your unquestioning loyalty rules? Mm, I think you might be incorrect, Nick. Oh boy.
3: I think the other one is actually Old Grudges for Bladed Call. You're right. Which yeah, I absolutely. absolutely have debated. That is correct. Yeah, Popper Princess is the one that lets you get
2: plus two. I'm so bad. I used to play the Old Grudges Warlord trait.
3: <laughs> yeah, if you can get like a third Warlord trait that's just like a wee, I get a third one. Yeah, Old Grudges is disgusting. Like if you really need something to die.
2: All the time, just to make even if it's not like a, a critical target, like I would take against Eldar Flyer Spam and pick one Flyer and just be like, Well, I'm gonna at least kill one of these, make my life easier for the next five turns. Yeah,
3: yeah, re rolling uh, 40 shotgun shots at hitting on threes, re rolling ones, re rolling all wounds. Yeah. That's a good
1: horde killer.
2: Mm-hmm. John, were there any qu- other questions you wanted to ask Alice before we go into part two with the matchups?
1: Yeah, I want to talk about secondaries, right? So, what kind mm. of secondaries are you focused on? Are you doing the recon? Are you are you? I imagine attrition's not really one you can go for. So I'd be I'd be curious to see what what you are actually trying to, what things you're trying to do behind enemy lines, stuff like that.
3: Yeah, it's a, as many movement based ones as I can possibly get. Deploy um, scramblers. Deploy uh, scramblers is only ten, but it's so easy for this list. Like it's almost a guaranteed ten. Yeah. Um. I know everyone looks at the secondaries and goes, "Oh, what can I get fifteen on?" And I really don't think that's how people
2: should be playing the game um yeah it's just not itc where you would just go in like if i can't get max it's crappy now it's like 10 easy 10 sign me up yeah
3: yeah 11 secondaries is like as low as you'd ever want to go for uh itc like 11 of 12 right um yeah for this deploy scramblers is like the easiest thing in the world um uh repair teleport homer is typically a very safe bet
2: that's one um, I haven't heard anyone giving any love to because you do have to survive with a unit for an entire turn in your opponent's deployment zone. Now, Gene Circle can get back there, but even still, like if 10 Neophytes are just preparing a teleport Homer, what's stopping your opponent from just blowing them up for a turn?
3: Yeah, I don't. Also, obviously, a lot of these are going to depend on terrain. Um, the fact that this army can just kind of blanket the board and do like weird movement things means a lot of times people will castle up. So if you're playing in Dawn of War style deployment, a lot of times you have like 24 inches between you and your opponent. If there's any terrain in between, like that's obscuring, or that you just can't see through because the neophytes are so small, you can. A lot of times you can just put something in a corner and your opponent can't see it or deal with it, or they just don't want to. They don't want to have to turn. You know, if you're playing Custodes and their smallest unit is 200 points, do you want to turn 200 points around to go kill 60
2: points? Right. Right really leaning into the MSU style, just there's too much stuff going on, I can't deal with everything all at once. And if they are putting those resources into stopping your teleport home or whatever, they're not putting those shots into like your Ridge Runners or your Neophytes with Wynies on the front line your Acolytes or whatever it might be.
1: Yeah. Well also, you may not have the shots because you might be just getting run over on primary against this list. Like, Alex has got a million of OPSEC bodies on all the objectives, you're like, well, um, this is actually worse for me to score zero on primary this turn, so I have to kill these twenty stupid five up feel no pain, neophytes that are on my objective. Otherwise, I'm not going to score. You know, uh, and this is a disaster. And so he sort of gives him situations where he's just like, Ugh. you. He force he's forcing you to kill things you don't really want to kill. He's got other things that you really want to kill that are not that hard to kill, but you've got to divert to do it. Like he's really. Alex is taking the initiative in the game and basically saying, okay, I'm going to force you to play in a certain way and good luck because I need you're, uh, you're going to have to play my game. And he's really imposing his strategy on his opponents, which is why I really like this list. It's pretty cool.
2: Yeah,
3: definitely. Trying to make people have the maximum amount of decision making, which gives them the most amount of possibilities to make the wrong decisions.
2: That's a great mantra to just take into your games for sure.
3: The other one that is fairly common for secondaries is since we've completely loaded up all the valuable spells onto the Magus uh, and given it the Crouchling and all these other things, a lot of times the Patriarch is kind of sitting on trash spells. So you can just, uh, like any of the psychic ritual stuff, a lot of times the Patriarch can just chill in the center of this giant board of Neophytes. He doesn't want to go anywhere. He can't. He's literally surrounded in bodies. And you just do actions every turn with him.
2: Yeah. And you lose your aura typically for doing actions for your player turn, like raising the banners, for example. Mm-hmm. So when it goes back to your opponent's turn, when you want to be fearless, you are fearless. Yep.
3: And let's be honest, the fearless is just like an extra little, "haha, I'm tough. So many times you barely lose anything to morale anyway.
2: Yeah, morale is just not a concept in this game anymore. I, I don't even know why it exists, honestly. Yeah. Like, they keep trying to make it more relevant. They keep making it less relevant somehow. Yeah. It's one of my pet peeves.
3: Yeah, 10 neophytes, lose five guys, and then lose one more.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's okay. Well, all right. I'm pretty excited to go into the matchups because I think Gene Cult are an infinitely flexible army. That's kind of always been their stick. So uh, being able to adapt your plan on the fly has always been key to their success. So let's talk about specific scenarios where you're adapting on the fly.
1: One of the things I'm kind of interested in is like what he's saving that vect for in each of those matchups because I think that's one of the harder things to figure out in ninth edition because the game's completely different. So that'll be interesting discussion for sure. Okay, listeners, we are going to be jumping over uh, to episode two where we're going to talk about the tactical discussion with this list. So you've heard the overall strategy and sort of how we set it up and why the things that are uh, are in right um, in the list and so let's I guess we'll just uh, we'll go talk about matchups and, and individual scenarios and that kind of fun stuff and you can find that over on our Patreon and if you haven't signed up yet it's one of the best values in content today it is only I think $5.95 a month and we've got I don't know 50-60 hours of players of Alex's caliber um, talking about what they do we'll see you all over there thanks <laughs>
0: like the strategy discussion you heard want to hear more about the tactics of this list sign up for our patreon at aow40k.com where we go deep into details of optimal play this has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40k. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40k.com. And of course, connect. Connect. On Facebook, just look for AOW40k. 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 Till next time.